good to see you all here today. My name is Jeff Nichols, and I am stepping in for Russ and Chris. They're at a wedding this weekend in uh, Big Sky. So it's my privilege to be up here. Russ and I were talking this week about substitute teachers, right? You guys remember when you had a substitute teacher in school? How many of you look forward to that? <laughs> that was a hoot, right? Yeah, yeah I know. I was too. Um, and I hope you guys won't be that bad for me, you know, but uh, you know, a little laugh and a little fun's good. But uh, Russ tells the best story about substitute teachers. He said that, uh, you know, he used to, he's a musician, I'm not, but uh, in orchestra class, right, they would walk in and there's the substitute teacher up there, and they would all grab a different instrument and start playing. And you can imagine the frustration on the, uh, the uh, teacher's face when they would hear this, uh, th- these sounds, so... Uh, it's funny how they would uh, mix them up, but uh, I'm, I'm proud to be your substitute teacher today. Uh, we're going to jump into a new series this week called Protégé, and you probably saw the very cool banners in here in the back, and it's how Jesus discipled, uh, how he took five different people and changed them from fairly ordinary people to really world changers. Um, this week, we're going to focus on Peter. Uh, next week, we'll be on John. And the next week will be actually on Mary Magdalene, which is kind of interesting. You don't hear a lot of preaching on Mary Magdalene. Um, the fourth week will be Judas, which that'll be an interesting one. I'm one, looking forward to hearing that. And the fifth week will be on Timothy. So what we want to kind of t- look at these, uh, this discipling is to kind of understand the principles that Jesus used uh, as he took basically just you know rocks and chiseled them down like Peter, and turned them into diamonds, how he polished them and redirected their lives, okay? Um, You know, if you look at, you know, Jesus, I I look at how he called his first uh, disciples, you know? He moved from Nazareth, his hometown, to Capernaum, to the Sea of Galilee, okay? So, you know, he goes to a fishing village. I mean, think about that. If you had the greatest message that you wanted to ever share with the world, you know, where would you go? And I think that I would probably take a cross-section, if I was going to do it here in the Galton Valley, I would look at, you know, some influential people in business maybe, or in academia, maybe, uh, you know, in uh, politics. You try to get this cross-section of people that had a high name recognition, right? And you want to share this message. But Jesus goes to a fishing village called Capernaum. And, you know, have you guys ever watched The Deadliest Catch? Anybody ever watch that? I love, I love, you know, when, when the fishermen are talking to each other, about every other word's bleeped out, right? <laughs> I mean, these are, these are kind of, these are blue-collar, hard-working guys, fairly coarse-languaged, you know, not super high-educated, but you know what? They're hard-working, and I think what Jesus was looking for when he started his earthly ministry there on the Sea of Galilee, he was looking for real men, you know, men that could stand with him, uh, men that would take direction, that would be discipled, but uh, he, you know, he wasn't looking for guys that were super overeducated or real polished. He was looking for, uh, as we call it, diamonds in the rough. How many of you can identify with that? You know, when Jesus found you, you were a diamond in the rough. And that's, that's where he started with Peter. And uh, we're going to look at how he, how he goes on and how he captures these other diamonds in the rough in the next few weeks. You know, I think of myself uh, when I came to know the Lord, I was uh, 16 years old, and uh, 
you know, it was one of those times in my life, uh, I don't know how many of you have been through a divorce in your family, but my folks had just gone through a pretty nasty divorce a few years before. We lived in a really, we were, I would call us upper middle class. We weren't wealthy, wealthy, but, you know, we had pretty much everything we wanted. Big house, about five acres of land, and my dad was doing real well as an engineer. And uh, unfortunately, we lacked the one thing that you need in a family, and that's that, to have the Lord in your life. You know, God just wasn't a part of our life. And uh, the marriage failed. Um, you know, my dad left. Um, and we weren't on the street, but we really downsized pretty dramatically. My mom went to work uh, went as a receptionist, you know. So sometimes, you know, uh, there was more month at the end of the money, if you know what I mean, than money at the end of the month. It was, it was tight. And, and, you know, in all that, I was mad. I had this whole picture of my life, and, you know, I, I won a privilege, really. And uh, not that I was on the streets, but, you know, all of a sudden, I, I went to work. I, you know, there wasn't enough money. She could provide the basics, but if I wanted a car, I had to buy a car. If I wanted gas in the car, I had to buy gas. So anyway, into all that, you know, uh, into this struggle, um, step, you know, Jesus. And I wasn't looking for him. Uh, you know, like I said, we weren't going to church. I wasn't a, a believer at the time. And one day in the basement, I'm channel surfing. This is 1976, ancient history for a lot of you, right? There's three channels. <laughs> Nothing like today, right? Get an amen over there? Three, three channels, yeah? And I, I'm, I'm surfing through these channels, and I hear this kind of a familiar voice, and it's Billy Graham. And, you know, he used to do those crusades where he would go to the stadiums, you know, around. He was actually in Yankee Stadium that, that, that day. And I can remember him talking, and I wasn't paying a lot of attention, but he had the kind of, what a great preacher, right? He could bring it. And I remember him saying, he, he talked out of Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 26. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You guys have heard that one, right? And I heard that, and it's like, I had these plans. I thought, you know, all right, I got knocked down a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outwork everybody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I, I get the education I need. I'm going to put this thing back together. I'm going to build my kingdom back up materially. And then Jesus went, <laughs> what does it profit you, man, to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And I hadn't thought about my eternity. And then if you ever listen to Billy Graham, and you can, you can get him on YouTube, by the way. It's pretty cool. You know, he, he always, somewhere in that, he'll say, you know, um, you're going to live a lot. You're going to be an eternity a lot longer than you live here. So you need to make your plans for eternity. And if you, if you would die tonight, God forbid, if you die tonight, do you know where you would be in eternity? Would you be in heaven or would you be in hell? And I thought, man, hadn't thought of that. You know, so then he has an altar call, shares the good news. I get down on my knees and, you know, I just accepted the Lord into my life right there. Uh, and it was, it was one of those things where I think Jesus saw in me a uh, a really rough rock, you know. I, I guys, I was drinking, partying. Um, I got into some scrapes with the law that I don't even want to talk about because even my wife doesn't know about them. But, but you know, it was that close. And 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 but you know, God changes the direction of your life at that point, and uh, He did with me. And I want to, you know, I kind of just illustrate that point because I was certainly that diamond in the rough, way rough. And you know, at that point when God got a hold of my heart. He started to knock the hard edges off. That happened to anybody here? Know how that works in your life? Yeah? Amen. 
So we want to take a look at that with uh, the story of Peter. We're going to borrow a little bit from uh, two, uh, two of the, the gospel accounts of when Jesus actually called Peter. Until I'm getting old, I've got to get my specs out. Uh, Matthew 4, verses 18 to 20, and Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. We're going to take a look at it, though, through the kind of the lens of this video, because I think this video, which borrows from both accounts, does a really cool job of showing how Jesus is intentional about calling us out. Isn't that awesome? I like how Jesus literally has to wait out, you know, and Peter objects to that. What are you doing? You're not going to just get up in my boat, you know? He says, no, you're going to give me a hand, right? But I love how he pulls him up and then just kind of dumps him there in the front of the boat. <laughs> okay, son of God. I don't think Peter knew exactly who he was dealing with right, right there. But, you know, uh, what you see, our big idea for the day is that... Uh, you know, Jesus saw in Peter what Peter couldn't see in himself. That's the big idea. That's what we want you to take home with you. Um, Jesus cast a way bigger vision for Peter than Peter ever saw. You know, the, he, he, you know he's living in this fishing village. He owns a, a fishing business. He's in partnership with, his, with uh, you know, um, Andrew and James and John, and they're, they're, they're fishing. But, you know, that's all he saw in himself. And uh, Jesus cast this way bigger picture of him. He said, I'm going to give you a chance, Peter, to change your life. I'm going to give you a chance to change your life. And, you know, what did, what did Peter say? What are we going to do? We're going to change the world. That was the vision, you know. And if you look um, at Matthew 4, 19 through 20, um, and it's a little bit different version of this, but Jesus called out and said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And if you notice, they left their nets at once, and they followed him. They didn't think about it. They didn't have a prayer meeting. You know, they just left their nets and dropped their nets and went and followed Jesus because Jesus cast a way bigger vision of themselves, a way bigger picture than they ever saw of themselves. They saw, saw something in themselves that they never saw before. In your notes, the first thing that Jesus does here is he sees a missionary in Peter, right? When everyone else saw an ordinary fisherman. He calls him to, on a mission. He calls him to come fish for men, not for fish. Okay? And uh, I think that vision, that really helped Peter to, to see what he could become. And, you know, I love in the video it says, Peter says, or Jesus says to Peter, give me an hour, Peter. Just give me an hour, right? And, you know, I thought about what Russ called us to do last week in our discipling just to give somebody an hour a week. Just give me an hour and let me help you change your life. And that's what, uh, what Jesus did with Peter. And uh, he followed him. We're going to look at another uh, story of Peter that's in the Gospels. It's in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18. And part of this will be on there, but if you want to follow along in your Bibles, chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. This is another one of those defining moments for Peter in his walk. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, about 20 miles north of Capernaum, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. On your notes pages, you'll see that Jesus goes on in verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So up to that point, Peter is referred to by his given name, which is Simon, son of John, right? At this point, Jesus gives him a new name, Peter, the rock. Well, on your notes, the second thing that Jesus does in his discipling of Peter is Jesus saw a rock when everyone else saw a screw-up. You know, Peter was one of those guys that I can imagine, you can imagine the kind of guy Peter is. If You know, he's kind of one of these big guys, guy's guy, you know. They like to dominate the room. You know, they like to push around a little bit and, you know, definitely boast, you know. They're the first guys to jump into stuff. And some guys, you know, people resent that. But, uh, you know, Jesus saw more in him than that. You know, Jesus saw a rock. Jesus saw a missionary, not just a screw-up, okay? Um, there's another story that I want to share with you, and it's not in your notes, but I think it, it kind of illustrates this point of being of Peter's dual nature at this time, how at times he could be very strong and be that rock, and other times how he would screw up. And this is the story of, and it's a famous story of when Jesus walks out onto the water. And the, the backdrop of this is this is right after Jesus had fed the 5,000. And Jesus stayed on land. He wanted to go pray. And uh, he tells the disciples to take the ship, the boat, and go across the Sea of Galilee, right? And uh, so they're heading across the Sea of Galilee. At about 3 o'clock in the morning, the storm blows up. And uh, the winds, of course, you know, the waves get up, the winds get up, and it's kind of like if you've ever been on Canyon Ferry when a storm comes up. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it can be a, it can be scary. Well, Jesus sees them clear out there on the sea, and they're faltering. Okay, uh, you know, and obviously they're crying out in fear. And uh, Jesus starts to walk out on the water to them, and uh, the disciples see him, but they can't believe their eyes. I mean, imagine that if you see something walking on the water. They think it's a ghost. And Peter recognizes Jesus. Sorry, Jesus calls out and says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And Jesus recognizes, Peter recognizes Jesus here and calls out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you walking on the water. Jesus says, yes, come. Notice how he steps out in faith. And then when he turns back, (laughs) he sinks. Now, I'm not sure what happened there because, you know, the, the Gospels don't say what happened, but I got a feeling the disciples in the boat are going, Peter, really? Come on, dude. You know, it's walking on water, you think you can walk on water? You know, you, you arrogant, boastful screw-up, you know? But Peter, in that moment, shouts out, Save me, Lord, as he goes under the water. And Jesus walks out, immediately reaches and pulls him out of the water, And he says, you have so little faith, Peter. Why did you doubt me? I see that as one of those moments where Peter was a rock when he stepped off that boat, right? He was. I mean, he literally became a rock as he sank. But, you know, who's going to step out of the boat and walk on water? This guy had a tremendous faith. But then he was also looking back at the world. And he was listening to the disciples, you know. And he had this dual nature where, you know, he lost his faith. He lost his eyes 
on Jesus and he sank. And I think that's got a real application. I know for me, there's been times in my life where I've wanted to step out in faith and really do something for God. And other people have kind of reminded me, really? Jeff, do you remember what you were like? You know, you ever have that happen? You know, you? <laughs> yeah, me. But the, uh, the, the, the key point we can learn from this, a couple things. One is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, you know, the author and perfecter of our faith, and not look back at our past. That song talked about moving forward, not looking back. That's what happened to Peter right there. He looked back, you know, and that's when his faith faltered. So there was a point where he was both a rock and a screw-up. Jesus, though, saw something way bigger in Peter than Peter could see in himself. So we're going to move over to one of Peter's biggest screw-ups. And everybody knows this one. It was his three denials of Jesus, right? That was probably his the low. If he had a low point, that was Peter's low point, right? And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gets arrested. Peter is right with him, right by his side at that point, right? And you guys will remember the story. Peter's, got, Peter's armed. He's carrying, right? He's got it concealed, you know. He pulls out the sword when they come to get Jesus, lops off the ear of, of the high priest's uh, chief assistant, and he's right in the battle. And then the next minute, they're hauling Jesus to the high priest's house, and Peter's trailing. So something happened right there where he starts to distance himself from Jesus. So they take Jesus into Caiaphas, 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 right? Caiaphas' house, and all the guards are out around, out around a fire. Peter's there with them, and this, this is where uh, Peter's denials are recorded. They're in Luke chapter 22, for those of you following along, verses 56, 57, and on. And it says, first, the first denial is this, a servant girl recognizes him. She goes, this man is one of Jesus' followers. And Peter says, woman, I don't even know him. Someone else around the fire looks over at Peter, recognizes him, saying, you must be one of them. No man, I am not, Peter responds. And about an hour later, things die down a little bit. Someone else says, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And the very next verse, 61, says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I'm not sure if the Lord could see him. If he was in the courtyard, he could see him out there. But the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine that look, if you're Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. That was a low point, right? Now, if you're Jesus and you've been discipling Peter for all this time, I don't know. I mean, he is the son of God. Thankfully, he didn't give up on Peter. But I think I might have at that point, you know, because here, here you've been with this guy for three years, and at crunch time, he just goes AWOL on you. And he doesn't have your back. And uh, Peter just disappeared. You don't see him any account of him for a while. He's not in the crucifixion. You know, he's not at the cross. He's nowhere to be found after that. But uh, Jesus doesn't give up on him. That's the great part of this story that I want to share with you. Um, there is in the last chapter of John, chapter 21, another story that supports the big idea that Jesus, once again, he saw in Peter what Peter couldn't see in, in himself. 
So this is after the resurrection, right? Jesus has appeared to the disciples in several different places. And one morning early, Peter decides with the disciples to go out fishing. And they love fishing, that's for sure. A lot of, like a lot of us here in Montana, right? Um, anyway, they're out on the, on the lake. They're fishing, um, not having much success. Guy call, calls out from shore and goes, you guys having any luck fishing? Nope, no luck. He said, why don't you throw the net over the other side of the boat? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> that was like the first time that Jesus went fishing with Peter, right? Well, in that exchange, both John and Peter recognize Jesus for who he is. And the cool thing is, of course, the net fills with fish. And Peter jumps off the, off the boat and swims to shore because he recognizes it as the Lord. We're going to pick it up here in verse 15, though, with the, what Jesus does at this point. Because keep in mind, Peter's denied him three times. I'm sure the disciples at this point pretty much have totally given up on Peter, you know, that he deserted them. So at verse 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Notice this in in the text, you guys, that Jesus no longer refers to Peter as Peter, right? Now he's back to his given name, which is Simon, son of John. So something's changed, and it's called three denials. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus repeats the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter answered. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So point three on your notes pages, okay? This was a pretty critical time because I'm sure that Peter's self-esteem was about as low as it can get. But Jesus at this point in time, he saw a shepherd in Peter when everyone else saw a deserter. Everyone around him had to figure that the guy went AWOL right there in the garden. But Jesus calls him out and uses these feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. That was a metaphor for a shepherd, right? And here's what's interesting. The Greek word shepherd in our language is pastor. Isn't that neat? So what Jesus saw was a pastor when everyone else saw a deserter. And you know what's interesting in that? In essence, um, you know, Peter ended up fulfilling that role. He became kind of the pastor of Jerusalem. He was a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. And he went on, as you guys know, in Pentecost, and he preached a mighty sermon that day, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 came to know the Lord in one message. So, you know, Peter fulfilled what Jesus saw in him. So, again, the big idea in this whole message, you guys, is that Jesus saw in Peter what Peter couldn't see in himself. Jesus saw a missionary when everyone else saw a fisherman. He saw a rock when everybody saw a screw-up. And in the end, he saw a shepherd or a pastor when everyone else saw a deserter. And the coolest thing about it is that Peter actually became what Jesus saw. And I think the, you know, the thing we can learn from that is when we're discipling somebody, when we're pouring ourselves into their life, we have to help them see what they can become. You know, there's a guy named George Bernard Shaw, and I learned this uh, through my years, and I was in sales a lot of my years. And in selling, they teach you not to prejudge people, right? You can do that, look at somebody, how they're dressed or how they act. 
And George Bernard Shaw, this was a comment that he said, he said, you know, the smartest man I ever met was my tailor. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R. The smartest man I ever met was my tailor because every time he meets me or he gets with me, he remeasures me. He remeasures me. That's what Jesus did here. He remeasured Peter. You know, he didn't put him in a box and say, deserter, you're, you're done. And the last part of that very message there I want to share with you is in verse 19. Jesus commands Peter to follow me. You know, and I think there's something we can really learn from that. That more than to, even to love him, he asked him three times, do you love me, right? But then he says, follow me. You know, and this, is a, this was a point in my life that I can share with you guys that, that at, at age 16, yeah, I stepped across the line of faith, asked Jesus into my heart, and I love the Lord. And I, you know, for all those years, but about 20 years later, um, Jesus knocked another big edge off of me, <laughs> resharpened that rock, right? Um, and it was about following him. And, you know, real quick story, but Julie and I were in Colorado Springs. I went uh, to work for Snap-on Tools um, in Salt Lake City in 86, and, uh, or 84, I mean, and uh, kind of started rising up through the ranks, you know. And my career started to take off, and we were in Colorado Springs. It was one of those high points. Uh, we had just built a new home. Uh, my field group that I had, these, these dealers that I work with, they were the number one group, you know, in the whole region. Uh, I started reading my own press clippings. I was pretty proud of what I did, you know. But I, for, I kind of forgot in all that. I, I still loved the Lord, but I wasn't following him as closely as I should have. And there was a point there where we took another promotion to Kansas City, put our house on the market, this brand-new, beautiful house that we built that we had all of our money in, and uh, that was right during the savings and loan crash for you guys that have been around a few years. It's like the, just like the bubble we had here a few years ago, the financial bubble that, that imploded. You guys saw what it did to the, the market. Money dries up, lending money dries up, houses don't sell, people drop their houses, prices to sell their houses that still don't sell. We were in the Springs, which was kind of interesting because there you had a lot of military there, God bless them, but they had VA loans. They could walk away from their home, just walk away and the government would pay for it. So we had all these empty houses around our house, not sell it. it trust me. Anyway, long story short, there was no government reaffordable program, no HARP program to, to help you get out from underwater. So we had to go to the bank and pay the bank, sign a promissory note. So all that money we had in our house that was kind of our security that I thought was my security, all that money was gone, and now I have to pay the bank to get out of the house, that or have our credit trashed. I can remember asking God about that, going, God, what, where did I go wrong here? You know, why are you punishing me like this? You know, all these years of work, and now we're, we're not even broke, we're below broke. You know, I can't even buy a house. We moved to Kansas City, we're renting. Anyway, through all that, he reminded me that, you know, you got a little bit uh, careless with whose money it really is. You know, that you come into the world naked, right, with no money, you leave with no money, right? In between, everything is God's money. And that's what God put on our... So Julie and I made some... <laughs> We made some critical decisions, some changes. We started to follow God's model of tithing in our life. We didn't have a lot to tithe, but we did. And, uh, you know, he blessed us after that. that. The next 20 years, guys, I can't tell you how much he blessed us. And, uh, you know, I sold my business last year, retired in my goal of retiring at 55. So it just tells you, you know, and here I am up here now, <laughs> which is great. But I'm just telling you that when you follow God, when you follow him, you follow his commandments 
then, and you love him, you truly are in his blessing. And that's what I want to encourage you out of this message. That's what, uh, that's what Peter did. After that, he followed him, didn't he? And uh, if you take your next steps real quick, we're going to bring it in for a landing here. Um, you know, how do we truly follow Jesus? Well, first of all, if you're a believer, one of the things that you were called to do is to make disciples, right? To go and make disciples. So the key with, when you're working with anybody is to cast a vision that's way bigger than your disciple can see. I think it's important for people where they're at to see that they can be something way bigger. And for a lot of us, we can share our story, right? What God has done with us and where we were at and where we are now. And like Jesus saw in Peter what Peter couldn't see in himself. I think that's our, 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 our job to disciple people. Also, the second part is to be patient with the screw-ups. You know, after Peter left and denied Jesus three times, Jesus could have kicked him off the island, so to speak, but he didn't. You know, he was patient with him. You know, Chris uh, Michaels here always says that everybody at Connect gets a do-over. I think it's important that we have grace for people, right? If they mess up, we give them a do-over, you know, and, and not just write them off. It's easy to do that. If you have yet to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you're still looking at this whole disciple thing, there's some things in this message for you. Um, the key about Peter was he, when he heard the good news and when he got a hold, he grabbed Jesus' hand and he said, what are we going to do? He said, change the world. He took Jesus up on his offer to change his life, and it was decisive. So be decisive about following Jesus. You know, like when I heard Billy Graham say, you know, if you die tonight, God forbid, where are you going to spend eternity? And I couldn't answer it. I needed to make a decision. I was called to make a decision right there because I didn't want to spend eternity apart from God. The other thing is, the other key is don't quit. Don't quit. The one thing about Peter, I thought, is when he disappeared after the, you know, his denials, he could have quit, you know. I mean, I hate to say it, but Judas quit. Judas left. I mean, he was done. But Peter didn't. Peter didn't quit. Peter came back. You know, he came back. And I think the key there that Peter, and it's in your notes, is Peter didn't let his failures define his future. Don't let your failures define your future. You know, there's that old saying that the next time that uh, Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? You know? But that happens to us a lot. I think we get reminded constantly that, you know what, you screwed up. You're no good at this. I was talking to somebody else, and they said, I'm not really good at speaking in front of people. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You just got to have God help you with that. Or whatever you're called to do, you have a future in front of you. So don't let your failures define your future. Okay? So with that, uh, let's put our stuff aside. And I'd like to just kind of work into a posture of prayer right now. Pray with you guys. Uh, thank you for your attention today, and thank you for uh, this message. But for those of you guys that maybe haven't made the decision yet uh, to follow Jesus, maybe you're in that boat and you're out there, you know, sitting there in the harbor, and Jesus has waded out to you a couple of times, and he's reached up his hand to you, but you uh, you haven't taken his hand. Or, you know, maybe you're out on the uh, ocean, you've got, you know, right now you're fighting the waves and the wind, and you want to take that step, but you haven't done it. I want to encourage you uh, in this moment now to take that next step. Um, you know, as, as, as Billy Graham said, you know, you're going to spend eternity a long time somewhere. 
this life is but just a brief second. And uh, God forbid if something were to happen to any of us tonight, do you know where you'll spend the rest of your eternity? I want to give you that opportunity right now. Um, just wherever you're sitting. We're not going to make, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you come forward. We're not going to do anything weird like that. But, uh, you know, if you're ready to make that step, I want you to uh, just raise your hand up and maybe make eye contact with me here. And uh, I want to pray a prayer with you. If you don't know the Lord, and uh, this is a great opportunity to take him up on that offer. So don't be bashful at this point. Thank you there in the back. I see you. Simple step of faith. Let's pray together, you guys. I'd like to have, uh, for those that have raised their hands, for the rest of us that have that know the Lord, would you pray along with me in this pr- sinner's prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. Thank you for taking my penalty for my sin. Thank you for taking that penalty on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for seeing in me what I can't see in myself. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you right now to forgive my sins. I ask you to come into my life. And I ask you through your Holy Spirit to change me from the inside out. I want to follow you, Lord, from now on. And help me to walk with you every day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me. Amen. I also want to ask, um, while we've got our, our prayer team here and, and they're getting gathering together here, uh, if you need prayer today for you personally, you've already stepped across the line of faith, but you know you need prayer to follow Jesus in a more direct way. If you need prayer for um, you know any healing, any sickness, uh, any oppression, anything that might be that you're dealing with, that you're a believer, but you need somebody to pray with you. You know, I love what I love about Connect is we don't just tell you we'll pray for you, but we have an amazing prayer team here that will set up right next to you. They'll come right over you and pray with you, and we won't make you uncomfortable. But if anybody here that needs prayer for some needs or in their family, would you raise your hand up for me so that I can see you? And we'll have somebody right down here. A gentleman right here. Okay, well, somebody will come up and right over here. Thank you, guys. As they're praying, I want to just lead us in a, in a prayer together here, and then uh, we'll close with our songs. Thank you, prayer team. Lord, I thank you for this uh, opportunity to share this word about Peter. Thank you, Lord, that we all identify with Peter in so many ways. I just thank you, Lord, that you cast a bigger vision for Peter than he could have ever seen in himself. And I just pray right now that you would do that in each of us. Lord, help us to see where you would have us go. Help us to see those plans that you have, that hope and that future that you have for each of us. And I just pray today that you continue to help us grow in you, help us to reach out to others, Lord. For people here today that need healing, I pray for your miraculous touch in their life, God. They need a financial miracle. I pray for the, uh, that you would intervene 
you would pour out your heavenly storehouse on them. Lord, for people that need help with their families, with relationships, I pray that you would be in the midst of that. People that are struggling with their marriage, God, right now, I pray that you would just make yourself known in that. People that have children that are struggling, that are maybe walking away from you, even right now, Lord, we pray that they would turn back to their moms and their dads, to their faith. And for those of you that need to see God's angel armies around you, I pray that your eyes would be open. You'd see the angels fighting for us and that you would go before us, God, and you would be behind us. God, I pray especially for this country right now. I pray for the elections that are coming up. Sometimes I feel so small and there's so much going on, but God, through prayer, you can do all things. You can move a mountain. We just pray for these elections and for the the men that will be raised up. We pray for the Supreme Court nomination, God. Pray that you'd be in and amidst all that, and you can do all things. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the blessings you've poured out on this country. Thank you for this worship time. Thank you for these brothers and sisters that are here today. And I just pray your mighty blessing over them, God. In Jesus' name.